Welcome to Inspiring Community, where we create a community conversation and awareness about mental health, substance misuse, and overall community concerns and needs. We share inspiring stories about hope, compassion, healing, and transformation that shows the beauty of this thing we call life. My name is Ida Siraj, founder and CEO of Inspired Arise. Please welcome our host, Drew Brandom. Let's be and start the change. And boom, we're up and running. Welcome everyone to the show. This is Inspiring Community, which is an Inspire to Rise podcast led by me, your host, Drew Brandom. We want to use this platform to create a community conversation and awareness about mental health, substance misuse, and overall community concerns and needs. Our hope is to share inspiring stories of hope, compassion, connection, collaboration, healing, growth, and transformation that show the beauty of this thing we call life. And today, our guest on the show is Miss Kathleen Roberts. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Very excited to have you on. Now, I'm showing here that you are an Inspire to Rise board member. Is that right? Yes, I am. I have the privilege and opportunity. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to get into that today. But first, just to uh, hear a little bit about you, I would like to know, where did you grow up? Okay, so that's an interesting question, a little bit all over. Um, so I'm originally from Asuncion, Paraguay, which is in South America, small little tiny country. It's cool. like a heart upside down. Um, my mom is from Paraguay and my dad is from Portland, Maine, two very opposite kind of um, areas. Okay. Um, they met because my dad was in the Peace Corps and went down there and my mom worked a lot with the priests that were working with Peace Corps workers. So I was born there, lived there for a little bit, but then we also moved uh, to Brazil for a little bit. And then we lived in Switzerland for five years. So I started school learning German and before I learned English, before coming to Florida to a small little tiny town south of Daytona Beach um, and started school there. Uh, took a little while for the English, but I think I got it down now. That's awesome. So how many languages do you speak then? Um, so three Spanish, English, Portuguese. And well, I guess German, it's a little fuzzy right now because yeah. it's been a while, but I can know a few things. Man, that's awesome. Now, and then you, just because you mentioned a small little tiny town, what small little tiny town are you talking about? Edgewater, Florida. Edgewater. Okay. Now is that, uh, what I don't know is, is that small enough to be population 1500 or are we talking at least a little bit bigger than that? Well, it is bigger now. When okay. we first moved there, I think it was about 1500 cause they had dirt roads and like every other road was a dirt road instead of paved. And it was just very small. We lived in a little area where every road was a palm tree name in alphabetical order. Yeah. So we were on cue for a queen palm. Ah, interesting. The neighborhood I live in right now, I, I just found this out. Every street is named after like an Indian princess, which I, um, I did not know. Someone in my community was telling me that. And I'm like, that's, that's a really cool. So mine is called, uh, Savita street is the name of it, but, um, kind of cool. So anyway, um, moving forward, sounds like, uh, just based on where you grew up, you probably got some, some cultural diversity going on, uh, saw a lot of different walks of life, but in terms of translating over to your career, what do you do? So I do get to do a lot of exciting things that are focused more around hope. 
Uh, so I started uh, school and when I went to college to study uh, criminology and criminal justice. And you always study the things that people do wrong and why did they do these things? And it just seemed very, just so negative. And then one day I had an opportunity to work for a local coalition that I didn't even know what a coalition was or what they did. They just wanted somebody who knew how to do data. I can do data. I can <laughs> run statistics. No problem. Right. Uh, and then I realized that there is actually a lot of hope. And things you can do before people end up down in the prison system, before they end up down uh, going through all of the adversities in life because of well, whatever happened on. And to me, that just seemed like such a great way to approach the world. So now I get to be a part of that change making process to hopefully not see so many of those negative outcomes. So right now I'm working for a coalition of coalitions. So not only do I get to work with local coalitions, I get to be kind of the the hub that gets to bring together um, groups from all across our region in Florida. Uh, we have about 20 different um, organizations that we work with um, by providing them with some, what's the latest research around substance use? What are the things that communities need to know about um, any concerns, issues, um, barriers, and be able to uh, share out what are some good ways that communities can deal with issues that we see related to substances. So that gives us the opportunity to not just talk about what the data shows us, but then figure out what can we do? How can we make sure that that hope piece that I love to learn about gets to be a part of something we do all the way across? Yes, we have a lot of issues when it comes to substances, but there's so much we can do to help the next generation coming in, to help the families that are trying to work through their struggles and to figure out how do we create a safer uh, place for all of our uh, communities to be able to thrive. Now, for those that might not be familiar, as you mentioned, of a coalition, can you just briefly share what a coalition is? Yes. So a coalition is uh, an organization that brings together different types of stakeholders from different parts of your community. So law enforcement, health, uh, school, um, youth serving agencies, behavioral health agencies, so that we can come together and assess what's going on in our specific community. Because we can have an issue like opioid crisis that we hear about. It can happen across an, in our entire state, but it looks different in each community because the communities look different. So by having a coalition, you're able to look at what those local needs are, uh, figure out where those needs are showing up and what are some of the things that are driving those needs. When we talk about things that relate to substance use, it's not just the consumption patterns that we want to look at, but what are the things that are driving that? What are some of the consequences that we're, we're seeing as a result? And if we know that information, then we can do a better job of targeting where do we provide resources what kind of services does the community need? Um, which partners need to be at the table? And then also that education piece, especially for young families as they're coming in and learning, well, how do we raise kids? What do I need to know? Because we learn about, well, we got to take them to school. They got to learn how to tie their shoes. They got to learn to ride their bikes. But we also have to make sure that we are keeping them safe and how to make good choices mm -hmm. and how to what does resiliency look like and how do we protect them against the other things that we're seeing out there? Now, what is it that um, that's very interesting too to kind of be data backed? This isn't just like a we're wildly guessing about what needs to be done in the community. It's very data driven, which I think is awesome and and very smart that these agencies are at least being somewhat strategic in what programs they they put their efforts into. So, how did you actually become attached to or uh, work with Inspire to Rise? Um, well. 
That's a great story. I think I was invited to come and meet a potential new organization that was going to open its doors here in Jacksonville. And I didn't know much about them, but I had a chance to sit and hear and listen to Ida. And when I tell you that my love for hope and what that means was exactly what she was saying. Mm -hmm. Like everything uh, that I studied about, all the things that go wrong in society and, you know, the justice system. She was talking about all the things that we would put in place to help protect individuals and families, not just we're going to fix this one thing because mm-hmm. you can't just work on one part of a person. Sure. You have to work on the full person from mind, body, soul, the family support, everywhere that they interact. And that's what they do. So when I heard that, I said, yes, what's yes, I want to be a part of this. I, whatever you need, whatever support I'm here, I'd be happy to support you, share about your organization, what you're going to do. And this was like right before they even opened their doors. And when I tell you that the amount of success they've had in such a short amount of time is incredible. Mm -hmm. The number of families that they've worked with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you really want to believe in hope, you join a group like Inspired to Rise because that's what they are. They're hope in action. Mm -hmm. Now, in what ways, uh, I guess, specifically do the coalition and Inspired to Rise partner? Uh, So one of the things that we're able to share uh, is uh, the information that we gather through the data um, as they're continuing to grow. And it's always good to know, like, where are some of the issues that we're seeing in our community? Uh, What are some of the those rising issues or or new trends that are coming out? What are things that, you know, parents need to know about? Um, We also have access to some resources that uh, we can share out. So one of the things that we do is. Uh, we purchased these bags called Deterra, which is a way to um, deactivate medication and dispose of it. So we, when we talk about substance use, some the research that we show is that that begins sometimes in the home when access to medications, all different kinds. Well, this uh, resource allows you to help build up the practice that when you don't need a medication or a medication has expired, you don't keep it. You mm-hmm. get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So you can put it in the bag, add some water. It neutralizes the medication, whether it's an opioid, a stimulant, an antibiotic, but the practice is there. Mm-hmm. And then you can throw it away in the trash because it's biodegradable. So we can, since we are able to access that resource, we can provide it to Inspire to Rise so they can share that out with the community and all the different families that they work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one another way that we do that. But we also like to promote the great things that they do. We share it out on our social media Um, We also try to make sure that anytime we meet a new partner that we connect whenever possible, because the more connected we are, the better, stronger our network is of support and the more we can create that change of hope. Yeah. Now, something that I do know is uh, obviously, I mean, it's, it's been a problem for a long time is substance abuse in general. Um, Something that is somewhat close to, to my heart actually has to do with the opioid epidemic just in general. Uh, it sounds like you have a lot of data surrounding that and and certainly an awareness of kind of what's going on in that space. So could you maybe share kind of a state of the union of the opioid epidemic and just kind of what's going on for the, the general uh, knowledge? Absolutely. So the opioid epidemic has kind of evolved over time. Um, we, uh, I think for Florida, it was in 2017 that we declared an opioid um, crisis in our state. Um, and at that time, it was a lot uh, more related to, we began with the prescription medication misuse. Um, when we start to see so much medication going out that for our state, when, and really for the country, when we looked at the top 100 prescribing physicians for opioids in the whole country, 99 out of 100 we're from Florida. 
So for Florida, this was huge. And so a lot of work went into reducing um, that issue by um, bringing in the prescription drug monitoring tool, um, redu- uh, restricting some of the medications of how long you can give something. But that that took away some of the that issue. And then we start to see the evolution of heroin really going out there. And now what we're seeing is the introduction of the uh, fentanyl all over the place in so many different forms. We're seeing it across um, um, the pill forms. We're seeing it with cocaine. We're seeing it with uh, methamphetamine. That has really exploded across um, to the point that Right now, when you look at the cause of death for for individuals, the number one cause of death right now for 18 to 44-year-olds is fentanyl, one of the most preventable things, and here's what we're seeing. And the, one of the reasons why we're it, that's the case is because it's, it's across so many different types of substances, and we started to see the evolution and availability of um, the counterfeit pills that look like a medication exact they look the same they've got the same imprints um, but they're you know things that you buy online or you're you know somebody sells it to you it's not coming from a prescription medication that a pharmacist filled in a in, in a you know in a pharmacy and what we're seeing with that data is that um, the the DEA now has shared out that for every 10 counterfeit pills that they find seven out of the 10 have enough fentanyl to kill you the first time you take it. So that's, that's uh, incredibly helpful. I think for the general population to, to be aware of for, for those that might not be familiar and maybe think, Oh, this isn't, this isn't that big of a problem. I mean, as Kathleen mentioned, it was specifically uh, stated as a crisis that was going on, which has continued through and through. And, and even to the point of, Uh, Florida being the problem, honestly, it's because doctors would quite literally fly in from out of town to Florida at uh, set time frames in order to essentially go into an office building, write a truckload of prescriptions for these individuals for opioids for them to go get filled, and they would fly back on their jet back to wherever they needed to go. And so it was genuinely, people were flying here strictly to write prescriptions, and it really caused a huge issue. And on top of that, just the the issue with uh, opioids in general, you know, you mentioned fentanyl. Fentanyl is a very common um, drug that is used throughout the medical industry in general. So it's not like this is something that is having to be secretly concocted. This is a readily available drug that's used in the medical world, I, th- I believe, oftentimes to um, like put you to sleep in some capacity but very small doses are enough to kill you. And so people are overdosing accidentally because now they're lacing in this cocaine and, and other items. So it is wildly out there and, and absolutely on the streets. Well, and the problem is too, is that you mentioned the stuff that they use with uh, you know hospitals and is usually with surgery because it's a, right. a very strong pain mm-hmm. type thing and needed and necessary right. in proper use. But what is happening in the streets is that is the synthetic version. Mm-hmm. So it's the stuff that's being made in makeshift labs, mm-hmm. not with, you know, precision or with, you know, scientists making sure that everything's done appropriately. So you're getting all sorts of other things mixed in there. And the reason this is kind of really exploding is we've talked before is, you know, the opioid crisis and epidemic and it's opioid medications. But with the fentanyl in the synthetic um, that we're seeing uh, coming through, we're finding it in things that are those counterfeit pills like Xanax. That's not an opioid. So Adderall. So people that may be seeking those things for other reasons, 
Um, they don't either want to use insurance or um, it's just a one-time thing. They're not looking for an opioid. They're looking for another type of medication. It just happens to be a counterfeit mm. that has a very lethal dose. Mm. And it could be one pill has it, the next pill doesn't because they're not, you know, they're not scientists in a very fancy lab. Yep. It's happening uh, through some of these cartels that are bringing in all this stuff um, in some makeshift labs. So this piece has it, this piece does not. And it does not take a lot. Mm. If you look at it, it's like a grain of salt. Right. Well, and another thing that it's it's so important that the coalition and Inspire to Rise are working on addressing and assisting people with these challenges is um, I actually have a friend of mine who uh, she was a nurse, a genuine nurse, and ended up being addicted to opioids because she had a surgery. And uh, after having that surgery, you know, obviously her prescription had finally run out. There was no more. And she thought, well, I'm a trained nurse. I know how to give IVs. I know how to do all these other things in a safe manner. And so, um, heroin is a pretty close, uh, you know, friend of whatever she was taking and began taking heroin because there was that addiction, but there was also, um, a fear of sharing that with others, of course, because no one wants, I don't think wants to admit that they're they're addicted and, and having a, a challenge and ultimately ended up overdosing and killing herself on accident, um, by taking heroin thinking, well, I'm a trained nurse. I'll be fine. I know what the limits are. And, um, so this can happen to everyday people. It doesn't just have to be the picture in your mind of what you might picture a heroin addict looking like. Um, and so this is a really, really big topic. Now, another thing I wanted to ask you on the same lines is I think you said 2017, it was labeled as a crisis or an epidemic. Um, since then, have the statistics gone up or down or where do we sit? Well, it definitely was climbing up, especially right after the pandemic. Um, uh, when 2020 was around and everything was shut down, we stopped the world for the potential of loss of life. And that's what's so crazy about this crisis. We know this has loss of life and it's yet really difficult to see some of the action. But when we were starting to gather and look at that data every single month, the numbers were skyrocketing. At one point, we had increased like 60% in number of overdoses. Mm. We are starting to see some good numbers coming through. Um, with it going down a little bit. However, it's still way too many lives lost. Mm -hmm. The current estimate, I think, for the number of individuals that um, died as a result of substance, I think was up to 111,000 mm. for just a single year. I mean, if we think back, you know, just a few years ago, it was like 54,000. And then the year that we moved over that 100 and some thousand, it just to take a moment and just pause, those numbers are people, mm -hmm. people that aren't here anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's why we do this work because those, those numbers are unacceptable. Those are people's families. Those are friends. Those are our, our coworkers. Those are our community members, our neighbors. We have to be more engaging in bringing the awareness that this exists, um, especially for, for families to know that this happens no matter what your family looks like. Right now, the, when you look at the demographics of the most affected, I mean, it's, it's all over. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're rural community, urban community, uh, wealthy family, a poor family, um, doesn't matter your demographics at all. Every family can have the potential. And with, you know, fentanyl being number one cause of death, chances are we know somebody that's struggling mm -hmm. with this. We may not know that we know them, but chances are we do. Mm. So as we do go ahead and wind things down here, um, I think the last thing I wanted to touch on is, 
you know, we talked about how a coalition, people might not know what a coalition is. So you, you kind of touched on that, but then just being a board member in general at Inspire to Rise, specifically board member and treasurer, what does that mean? So what that means to me is an opportunity to be a part of the exciting change in hope. Um, With a board, what's so nice about a board is it provides a group of individuals who have a vested interest in seeing the success of an organization. So we get a chance to do brainstorming, uh, making recommendations, suggestions. Uh, Ida gets to share out all these amazing ideas. And when I tell you, she has so many amazing ideas. (laughs) From the moment I met her, I was like, yes, I want to be part of your team. Mm -hmm. This is great. Because she sees the full picture. She understands kind of all of the little pieces that play a role in this. And with the board, we get a chance to be a part of the brainstorming, be a part of the soundboard. Um, because we also need to know, like, are there any other, you know, barriers or challenges that could come up against any ideas? So with everyone that we have, we're able to also bring in our different uh, perspective to it. And then we each also have a very large network. So if there's an, an idea for a new thing, we know who else can we reach out to? Who else can we bring in on this or who, where else can we find maybe some funding support to help support these ideas so that these are not just ideas we talk about in a meeting. They're ideas that we start discussing in a meeting that then turn into action and then create turns into that hope that we see that changes lives and families and creates that safer environment for, for everybody to be able to thrive. Well, um, I appreciate you sharing that because I do think that it's funny, uh, just board, board members, board meeting. I think that gets thrown around. And a lot of times people are like, what do you even do behind the magic curtain of the board and the board meeting? And so I think that, um, probably connects a lot of dots for people to really be able to see. Um, and even more specifically, you can see how impactful it would be to have a, a group or a round table at the board meetings that has specialization kind of like what you do. So you clearly, I'm sure there's so much more to it, but you obviously have a tight uh, grasp on the statistics and the data, and you can bring that to the table of saying, you know, as I mentioned before of, well, this is why we need to focus in this area because look at the statistics. Here's, here's what's going on on the ground and not just kind of wildly guessing and allocating funds incorrectly. Right. And, and that's a big piece right there, because one of the things that we don't want is to set up something that won't stay around. We want that sustainability. And in order for uh, organizations and nonprofits to flourish, you have to have not just the content knowledge of the field, you have to have the knowledge of, of the business side, because all the funding that comes in, especially state and federal dollars, they have a ton of restrictions and requirements and all the strings that come attached to it. So you have to uh, be in compliance with all of those things. And I think that's a, another piece that uh, I can bring to the table with being the treasurer is I work a lot on, on contracts that come from state dollars and federal dollars uh, for to understand those nuances or the restrictions of things that you can or can't do. Because uh, we can come up with an idea, but funding is very particular. They'll give you money, but you can only use it for X, Y, Z. But you need A, B, and C. So how do we how do we figure out how to make that happen? That's great. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to make sure I give you an opportunity. Is there anything else that you thought might be helpful to share today that we haven't addressed? If not, that's totally fine. Just want to make sure we put it in your corner. Well, I think one of the things that's important to share out is that there's always opportunities for community members to participate in a part of the solution. Um, And one of the things that we do have coming up um, here in 
in October is the uh, every year the DEA does a <clears throat> medication take back day so that they collect unused and unwanted medications. It happens every single year, twice a year um, in April and then again in October. No questions asked. You find the locations and you can um, take whatever the medications that you have and drop it off. And then the law enforcement in, in collaboration with the DEA will be able to take that, dispose of it and remove that availability and access from the community, which is fantastic. It also gives you a great opportunity for uh, having conversations at home with why do we do this? Well, we don't want to hold on to medications that we don't need. If we don't need it um, or it's expired, we need to get rid of it. It's like a, a cleaning out, cleansing of your medicine cabinet. And if we remove that availability, then it helps out with a lot of uh, other issues that we could be now preventing because of that. And just to add a real life case study again to this, uh, my wife worked for a company that would move military families internationally. And what would happen quite frequently is these military families, as they would move, um, the government will actually pay for, you know, your house to actually be packed as well. So it's not like the members themselves are packing. And oftentimes, truly often, um, the movers would come in and they would scrounge through the medicine cabinets and they would take those pills, specifically what you're talking about. And so it wasn't a problem in their house specifically. It could be friends and family that come to visit that you would have no idea they have an issue with this. And truly, it's helping to protect them. So like you said, you did a great job of explaining why you should dispose it of it. Sometimes people, I think, are like, well, then that way my 15-year-old can't get into it who's trying to experiment or whatever. But it can be outside of that realm as well. And truly, they would frequently have people stealing those medications. So um, great, great information today. Thank you so much for being on the show. And for those of you out there that are listening, we want you to remember you are not defined by your worst moment. We hope to inspire you to be your best self for yourself, your family, and your community. The belief is that stronger families equal a stronger community. So let's be and start to change. And with that, we'll let you guys get back to it. Thanks. Remember, you are not defined by your worst moment. We hope to inspire you to be your best self for yourself, your family, and our community. The belief is stronger families equal a stronger community. Let's be and start the change. Inspired to Rise is a nonprofit focused on holistically helping make the community a little better, happier, and healthier place. For more information or to support our mission, please contact us at weinspiretorise.org or via phone 1-844-WE-RISE-1, which is 1-844-937-4731. Thank you for listening.